Hello and welcome to the Rose Bros Podcast. The following is a conversation with Russell Reimer. Russell is the founder and president of Manifesto Sport Management, a company that offers pro-athlete management, brand consulting, content production, and major event bid strategy services. Taking inspiration from the movie Jerry Maguire and the famous Sport Manifesto, as well as the real-life sport agent Lay Steinberg, Russell has created and grown Manifesto Sport into a multi-million dollar sport management company. Russell has worked successfully with world leaders in sport for the past 18 years, including eight world championships, nine Olympic games, over 25 World Cups, the 2020 Calgary X Games bid, and the Calgary 2026 Olympic Games bid. Manifesto Sport also manages a variety of athletes, including Blue Jays third baseman Vlad Guerrero, X Games and Olympic gold medalist Brady Lehman, NHL stars Mitch Marner, Taylor Hall, Shea Weber, and Carey Price, Olympic gold medalists Tessa Virtue, John Montgomery, Rose McLennan, and Haley Wickenizer, among many others. We sat down over a smooth cup of Rose Bros coffee and talked about building a sport management business, the intangibles that make someone successful, the value in having a good reputation, the importance of stories in marketing Olympic athletes, and a lot more. Enjoy. Russell, good morning. How are you? I have never been better in my life. You're the owner and founder of Manifesto Sport Management? That's right. Yeah. We just had our uh, ninth anniversary in November. It's been interesting uh, because... You know, Manifesto was built on on a lot of uh, idealistic thinking, like a very philosophical approach to uh, to the marketplace and what's re- what's been required to build a great agency. And I think a Canadian leading agency is is that in the conversations that you have with athletes who are determining, who, I mean, they have lots of just choices of who they can sign with. They can sign with big companies like Octagon and CAA and and Wasserman. But for the most part, the, the athletes that have uh, have decided to sign with us, and I think we've we've probably had more productive conversations, successful conversations with athletes than any other agency. <clears throat> it's it's allowed us to grow endemically because we we communicate this philosophical belief about what we think sport can be and what we believe their careers can be beyond just winning or losing, and. And that, uh, from a management perspective, has really helped uh, helped us grow in uh, in a meaningful way, where people have to buy into our philosophy, and that's that's really become our differentiator, and I think why we become successful. Manifesto Sport Management is athlete management. You produce media, and you're a sporting event developer. How would well, you I, describe the company? Yeah, Manifesto does principally three things. We we're an athlete management and representation house so we we work with i mean some of the top athletes in the country many of the top athletes in the country yeah and uh we have a diverse range but i think the one thing that ties most of them together is is this idea of representing greatness we have we have athletes who are really at the top of their game in every sport that we work with uh i think 45 olympic medals in total we have uh olympic champions x games gold medalists the Stanley Cup champions, league MVPs, you know, rookies of the year. I mean, we've, we've got a, a group of athletes that all share in common one thing, and that's greatness. They're, they don't, uh, they don't, um, they're really, they're really the best at, at what they do, and, and that that has allowed them to cross over uh, into a much more mainstream marketability. So, 
that's our that's our one uh, sort of revenue pillar. And our second would be sport tourism. That's where we, you know, effectively build really large bids. You know, things that can scale from, you know, we I've been involved in probably seven eight bids here in Alberta, from Red Bull Crash Dice in Edmonton in 2015 and 18, where I was the bid lead and established the the funding foundation for the event to get it out of Quebec for the first time. It was in Quebec City at the time for 13 consecutive years. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a that was a bit of a breakthrough for the province uh, to win and made a lot of friends in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, it was a city-stopping show that just took over uh, for an entire weekend. And, and I don't know if you saw the event, but it was, it was pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Right in the River Valley, going off of Jasper Avenue, right beside the Shaw uh, Convention Center. And... It just, I mean, it lit the entire city up with blue and red. Yeah. So that that was a that was a big win. But I've I'd worked before with Red Bull for about for about ten years on uh, on other events that they were doing in Canada, and then shifted my focus, you know, most recently to helping with the Juno's bid in Calgary, the CCMA bid in Calgary, the 2015 uh, National Volleyball Championships, which are the largest um, single sport event in North America, and. 10,000 athletes, roughly the size of the Olympic Winter Games, uh, were for the number of athletes. And, um, you know, won, won all those bids consecutively, had a, quite a nice run going, uh, right into uh, being a, one of the senior consultants for the Olympic bid mm-hmm. here in Calgary, for Calgary 2026. And then uh, X Games, uh, mm-hmm. which I would say we won, we won the bid, but um, had... Yeah. Had some challenges carrying over the commitment uh, when the when the provincial government changed. Hmm. So, um, you know, a, a pretty much a maybe a 12, 12 or thirteen year history now in successfully bringing uh, international sporting events to Calgary and, and Edmonton, hmm. and primarily working in Alberta. And I've got a, uh, a couple of new things uh, on the go right now that I think will be really successful, and, and I think honestly, what Calgary needs after mm-hmm. uh, after a couple of disappointments. And then the, the third big piece of work that we do is in content creation. Yeah. And uh, we do mostly long-form documentary and branded content. But our, I think we're going we're gonna to move our model more in a direction now of television show production and documentary and um, uh, look to take a bit of a leap uh, going into Beijing 22, the Olympics in Beijing, on the type of content that we produce, which I think will be fun. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Oh yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, I think everything you know, life is sweetened by risk, and I think you know, I you know, you you can hit hit some results without the net. You know, it, there's there's got to be some uh, risk reward equation in in the work that you do, and I think that the the difference may be that I would probably define reward in a in a in a much different way than a than a typical entrepreneur or a lot of the entrepreneurs that i've met where you know you look at um top line revenue or you know uh profitability and you know you're trying to understand how to make the most of your time and if you're going to risk this much what do you get out of it and for me um it's been just as important to um philosophically to to commit to recognizing and defining rewards as um, the intangibles that come with with doing great work for uh, for great people and great athletes in the country 
Um, and that's what's really been the driver. And I think the reason why so many athletes um, that at the top of the game have entrusted their careers to us. We care about what they care about. Hmm. And it, it, it still means something for me as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, to help them succeed and see them, see them become successful. Uh, not just in their careers, but as people. When you started the business, was it athlete representation only, or what was the original business plan? I, I, yeah, the original business plan, I was actually at, uh, working at um, on my master's at the University of Calgary, and I basically built the business plan over the course of a couple of years while studying, and I used some of the academic insight and uh, environmental scan research, competitive research around what agencies were currently doing. And I found, you know, that there was, there, there was not only a need for a philosophical approach, I mean, not, not to, you know, look at Jerry Maguire and say he hit it, but the idea behind the mission statement that Jerry Maguire wrote around less clients, more focus, more, more time. That's a great um, movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. I mean, I, I had the idea of being an athlete agent before that, but yeah. The one inspiring piece of it wasn't, you know, wasn't the show me the money part yeah. uh, conversation between him and, and Cuba Gooding Jr. It was um, the reason why he left a big agency, hmm. right? And that differentiated statement that he wrote, which you can actually read online. It, it's funny because the in in the character development of Jerry Maguire, Cameron Crowe actually wrote the mission statement mm-hmm. as a 25-page statement that is available online to read today. Right. And I didn't know this until somebody told me, oh, it's like Jerry Maguire's mission statement. And then it kind of was like, oh, right. It, yeah. is. <laughs> it is. So I went and read it. And, you know, I'd already been doing agency work for probably 10 years at that time. Hmm. But it was it was really interesting to see um, how philosophical it was and how differentiated it became. Because most agencies built off, are built off of transactional mm-hmm. uh, relationships with athletes. And uh, that's not what I wanted to do. Hmm. I, did, I didn't want to get into the business to treat athletes like transactions or properties to buy and sell. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't interested in that approach uh, to the business. So when we actually sit down and have a communication and, and a conversation over dinner with an athlete, or in some cases, a, a parents and an athlete, it shows. Hmm. You know, it really does. And uh, that's, been, that's been the center of our success. And it, I think entrepreneurially, it's important to have a, a sound business model but that doesn't mean that the only reward from the risk that you assume is profitability. And if you can get yourself away from just thinking about, you know, a business model w- whose sole intent is to generate revenue and create profitability, you can actually unlock a level of, of potential and greatness in your own work um, that, um, uh, that will also be rewarded mm-hmm. with financial success. And most entrepreneurs that I know aren't willing to do that. Absolutely. Were you in school? Were you an athlete as well? Or? I wasn't an athlete in university. I mean, I tried out for the uh, for the University of Winnipeg volleyball team. I was a volleyball player. I see. And um, I played beach on the Canadian tour and and uh, beach volleyball. And I was, you know, I probably committed to that sport for twelve years mm. after high school, and really got to know beach volleyball. And that's really how a lot of my career breaks came was from an in-depth understanding of beach volleyball. And then hmm. uh, ultimately I was a producer f- for NBC for the city 2000 games. And that was a direct result of all of the commitment that I had to understanding and learning the game as a player. Hmm. And then 
being a writer and a journalist who could actually introduce and communicate that to audiences. So when I got a job with NBC, I was, you know, so Sydney 2000, one of the great beach cultures of the world. Yeah. Um, the 96 Olympics in Atlanta were, you know, spectacular. It was the biggest name in the game, Karch Karai winning gold. And, um, and uh, I, I was you know, privileged enough to get the job of uh, being the lead producer for, uh, for beach volleyball and, you know, bringing, bringing the sport that I loved in a really insightful and meaningful way to honestly millions of people. Mm -hmm. I think beach volleyball is still the number one most consistently watched sport of the, of the Olympics over the course of the, the tournament. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I realized that that type of passionate commitment was, was really what was going to be our, the secret of building a good company. And you did your master's in kinesiology or what? Communications. Communications. And so while you were in school, you kind of thought to yourself there could be an opportunity for athlete representation? Yeah, it was actually not when I was in my undergrad, but when I was taking my master's. Mm. I think in my, I think during my master's, I took it as, as a slow pace. I actually did it over seven years, uh, course by course, because mm. I was working at the time. And, and it was mostly... The time that I took to do it gave me the ability to reflect on what I actually wanted to create yeah. and think of it academically as a challenge to understand the marketplace and to understand in a different differentiated approach. approach. What NBC taught me along the way was that you know, some people don't like the storytelling uh, of NBC. They think, it's, they think it's too much or over the top and it's you know, so much different than CBC. Personally, I love it. I mean, you, as a producer, you get so much latitude to tell great stories and it's the expectation. You sit in an editorial meeting at 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. every day and it's, you're pitching, you know, you're, you're in a competitive environment with 10 other producers. I want Bob Costas to lead with my story for 28 million people watching primetime that night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a tangible win there for you if, if you can get it. I, I remember I had, in Salt Lake, I had, I think I had four stories that led the broadcast, which is probably greater than my share. And, and I was just, I mean, the, the high that you get from telling a story uh, that Costas is leading with or promoting all, actively on a broadcast for, you know, 28 to 40 million would be an, an average night of people yeah. watching the game. Yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. And it gives you a lot of contagious confidence you know you you, you feel like you can do anything hmm. and that storytelling approach that nbc teaches you about the mode of cues and you know how to build audience crescendo and suspense um in in inside of a five minute piece is is really is really super fun hmm. and that's the approach that i wanted to take and make the heart of my work as an athlete agent i felt that if i could look at story in the same way uh, that I could begin to actively connect brands and, and athletes through story development, uh, which led to ultimately led to content development uh, in a way that, that kind of set a precedent for the market. And when you look at where athlete agency is now, that is the common practice. Hmm. But back in 2000, coming out of the Sydney Games or 2002, that was not. Hmm. So I, I really feel like I played a, a um, a uh, pivotal role in uh, how this is, you know, how this um, work has evolved across the country. And it's been great to see. When you first started the business, how did you get your first clients and how did you pay the bills? 
Well, that's the risk part. Yeah. Right? I had actually just left, uh, decided to finish my master's and commit to the half year that I had left to, to really get it done and write my thesis. And I had just left a job at Winsport at the time uh, where I worked in event management and marketing. And, you know, I, I thought that the best way to, to, to do it was to give myself a window. Had a little bit of savings, had a patient partner, <laughs> my wife, yep. and and just decided that I would commit to building the building the business plan and 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 start going. At the time, I partnered with with uh, someone that I knew quite well, uh, and you know really trusted an industry veteran, and we decided to launch our, our first venture. <laughs> and uh, I moved on from that nine years ago, uh, but and really feel like manifesto is closer to the truth uh, for me and what I believe athlete management should be. Um, and I'm, I'm actually quite proud of where we're at today, but getting that first client was really just a conversation with people. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do this. Here's my approach. Here's our commitment to you. And here's how I think we can win together. And, and um, built up a pretty good roster before 2010 games, knowing that, the demand for athletes was going to significantly increase. And then after the 2010 games, uh, to try and sustain that momentum, built a really great relationship with the Canadian Olympic Committee and um, and the people there, uh, led by Chris Overholt at the time, and just sold sold Chris Overholt and the, and the Canadian Olympic Committee on being more athlete-centered and marketing-focused. Hmm. And they accepted that approach. And, and I mean, for the... For the better part of eight years, nine years after the games, we created a, a sustained momentum that continues to build. So I think I knew that from the beginning, if I was going to be a difference maker in Canadian sport, I had to commit to fundamentally helping organizational change within the COC. Hmm. And then also the next piece for us was making a leap into pro athlete management. And you have a lot of top athletes now, people like Kerry Price, Shea Weber, Brady Lehman. How do you meet people like that? How do, how do those guys come across your desk? <laughs> Honestly, for us, it's about building a reputation that gets us in every consideration set. Hmm. And I say, I say this because athletes have, have their choice of who they want to work with. Mm-hmm. And what we've, what we've tried to consistently do is deliver with athletes so that the peer-to-peer conversation between athletes is, here's what Manifesto did for me in my career. Hmm. Here's their approach you should reach out to Russell. And that's the, the majority of our, of our client development now comes from that type of relationship development where they recognize that we're good at what we do and that they want to work with, with people who are really the best and as committed to, to being great at what we're doing as they are committed to what they're doing. And I think that's where most of the, the growth has come from naturally, uh, really endemically evolved from, from, people looking for the best people to support them. And then the second area has also been brands. We've, we've created such a great relationship with, with brands over the last 10 years that, you know, senior leadership, VPs, uh, people who direct massive budgets and sponsorship in Canada will honestly just reach out to me and say, listen, have you thought about this athlete? We're thinking of signing them. Could, could you, could you work with them if we sign them? Hmm. And when you're getting a referral, from a brand that you're going to ultimately negotiate with on behalf of an athlete, yeah. you know, you've reached kind of a, a, a place where reputationally 
you're doing it the right way. To me, that's the most sincere endorsement you can get is hmm. I would rather have you negotiating with us for more money yeah, for sure. and making sure this athlete gets a fair deal and that, that your people are responsible for fi- fulfilling our relationship. And uh, to me, that's really where, where you know you've, you've, you've reached a zenith. It's kind of a win-win scenario. I think so. I think so. But I don't know. I mean, I would never have expected that when I started out, Yeah. that a brand would, would be the one referring athletes to us. So that's pretty cool. How do you make sure your business is making money at the same time athletes are making <clears throat> the most amount of money they can too? Because I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of competition amongst agents to un- undercut each other. Yeah, I don't get into that business at all. I mean, I don't, I don't really think of it, of it that way. Hmm. I think once you begin to, to think about it, about, about points, yeah. you, you reduce relationships to transactions. And, you know, you, really, you reduce um, how much time you put into an athlete to what the revenue outcome is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not a winning way to look at this business. Hmm. The, the people who do that, they may be successful in getting more points. Okay, good for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish them every success. It's just not how we're going to evaluate success. Hmm. So I, I don't, I look at every relationship. We, we just started working with a, a, a 15-year-old snowboard phenom from Calgary. I think she's going to be the future of snowboarding, women's snowboarding. Hmm. And she'll be competing this weekend at the X Games in the, in the, in the final on Saturday night under the lights, biggest stage in all of sport. And if, if I looked at her as what could we potentially earn from her in, you know, as she develops her career Mm -hmm. versus here's a young person with incredible potential who needs supportive management Mm -hmm. that has patience and purpose. And if I approach her, the relationship with her and her parents that way with that patience and purpose where we're going to, we don't just want to create a, a, a great female snowboarder. Right. Yeah. And for the sure. most part, that's not, I'm not a coach. I mean, for the most part, her high performance objectives, uh, that's an internal ambition and we'll support that as much as we can. But if that's how I looked at it, mm-hmm. instead of the long play of what could this woman become if we were together, mm-hmm and help guide her in a direction where she thinks about a parallel path beyond just snowboarding and how impactful she can be as a young female athlete who's in a group right now in a peer group of athletes at 15 years old who, who, who literally are falling off a participation cliff where girls just don't compete in sport after 15. Hmm. I mean, the decline is like 80%. Yeah. So, I look at it and think to myself, how can we how can we help this young woman become a change maker for Canadian sport? Hmm. And along the way, as she's successful in snowboarding, uh, she'll multiply her influence. Yeah, and that's not a, I mean that's that's not a calculus that's based on money uh, or commissionable income. Once you start reducing it to that. You, you, you begin to think of everything that you're committing to in time as lost effort. Yeah, and exactly. then your business yeah. is done. Mm-hmm. That's basically, that's the, that's the end of your, your company. Hmm. So commit to what makes you different, right? Mm-hmm. And for us, it's, it's patience and purpose for a young athlete like this. For other athletes, it's, it's about um, 
helping them capitalize on uh, on emerging or growing reputations, social followings, marketability, right? But you have to you have to have a willingness to look at, at every athlete differently. As the money gets bigger and the stars are larger and personalities are larger, everything else in sports, for instance, the NHL, when there's a lot of money on the line in that scenario, is it the intangible things that kind of separate you from other agents? Carey Price probably has a lot of options and there's a lot of money on the line, but it sounds like it's kind of more the intangibles that are that really drive him towards a company like Sport Manifesto. Or Manifesto, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think, like I said, Manifesto's built a good reputation. Uh, Kerry has a great manager, a guy named Brad Robbins, and it's actually Brad that reached out to us huh. and said, "Hey, would, do you want to do you want to collab on this?" Uh, Brad is a Brad's an industry vet. I mean, he has a very similar approach to us, and people call him the athlete whisperer. He's got an incredible reputation, and he he engaged he engaged us because he saw a, a, a shared values or a values alignment between how Kerry wanted to be doing his marketing and endorsement business. And we were more than happy to, to help build a relationship. I mean, I, I admire Brad. I've admired him for years. So I, I took that as a, as a real badge. I mean, I thought getting an endorsement from a guy uh, as senior as that, who's been doing this for 30 years to me was was just a you know for manifesto one of those intangible rewards that i talk about you know and and we'll do yeah. great work uh, together with him uh, for carrie and and brendan gallagher as well so that that's i mean that's the approach there and i mean carrie does well of course he has a he has a contract agent he he has a massive deal with with montreal uh, they look like the team to beat in this canadian division and um you know they're building something great for us. We want to help complement that with, with great marketing and and uh, and endorsement opportunities. Yes, hmm. the image of an agent that is the stereotype maybe someone like Ari Gold from Entourage, <laughs> Ari Emanuel. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that's maybe there are elements of that in certain businesses. But it sounds like the values are really what drives a successful athlete representation. Well, I don't know. I mean. I know a lot of agents who are contract agents. We're 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 more on the you know brand and endorsement side, and I think there is a real there is a real differentiation here. Contract agents, you know, have to be that guy who's willing to get in the scrum for you or for their client and play hardball with a GM. But huh. That's that's not me. That's not the work I do. Okay, but those people are cut differently. <laughs> uh, I could I could not do that work. Yeah. And increasingly, we know that they they can't do ours. Hmm. Um, so that's why we've been able to create such great relationships with so many top tier athletes. When you say athlete representation in the case of your athletes, is that a direct contract de- deals and whatnot? What does that mean? We we don't do contract negotiation. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. The, there are contract agents who do your contract oh, with okay. a GM of a team, and then there are endorsement and brand marketing agents. That's us. I see, and it's less cutthroat and. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's competitive. There's no doubt, but I mean, for us, we've committed to building a reputation I see. that puts us in every conversation. Hmm. I mean, we we make some relationships with athletes where there's a good fit. We win considerably more than we lose, um, and I I believe wholeheartedly that we're at the top of the game in Canada. 
along the lines, you've picked up some big clients. Do you find it's harder to manage your time? Is some of these, there's a lot of money in the line in NHL endorsement deals. How do you manage your time with people like that? And then you have some smaller end clients at the same time. Yeah, that's a good question because sometimes the scale is there with, with, with deals, even, yeah. even with an action sports. I mean, you can have million dollar deals. So it's not, it's not necessarily just NHL guys or major league baseball guys, although those deals tend to be yeah. scaled up. You know, the, the balance is I also have to feel refreshed and, and I also have to feel recommitted and, and really love the work. And there's nothing more rewarding than helping an athlete where uh, a $50,000 deal is a life changer for them. Yeah. Hmm. Right. I mean, we, we have great NHL players, Mitch Marner, uh, Carey Price, Brendan Gallagher. I mean, these, these guys are, these guys are awesome. Um, super marketable, body Guerrero, but one endorsement deal isn't going to be a life changer for them. Hmm. Right. They have, they have, they make, uh, they make, um, NHL salaries, mm-hmm. MLB salaries. So seeing an athlete who, who's young, up and coming, and who, whose ambition is to win a gold medal for Canada, mm-hmm. and then being the person that inserts that value uh, into their life financially, that gives them this, some security, that um, maybe clears up a credit card that the parents have kept. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is a remarkable feeling. Have you had that? Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's most of what what we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably ten athletes in our group whose lives have been changed because of the work that we do for them, hmm. right? So the like I said, if you if you and but the commissionable outcome for us isn't what it would be if we spent the same amount of time. But again, if you yeah. if, if that's how you evaluate success, and that's how you reward the risk that you assume with your time and your energy. You can't win in this business. Hmm. You can't because it's it's just too see through, right? It's yeah. too transactional. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't apply the level of care that you need to be successful. So for me, the the real renewal and the is and the heart of the business is uh, helping young people succeed, setting them on a course where their hmm. life can be changed as a result of the success that they have in their sport. Have you seen other agencies kind of burn bridges and treat it more transactional? I think most do. You know, unfortunately, uh, that is the case. Really? Um, there, there are a few that don't, but that's just, again, philosophical approach. I don't think that this is that we necessarily are the standard of how it would be done. So everyone who doesn't do it our way um, is, is failing. Hmm. Um, that's just for us. I mean, this is how we measure success and failure. Um, so other agents may have a different calculus entirely of how they measure success and failure. And I know there are a lot of people who are just commission hands. That's cool too. Yeah, hmm. That's not us. Things are going pretty well for the business now. Have you had any tough times along the way that have really, that have been stressful? Yeah, I think, I think the time before, before 2010 was pretty, was pretty stressful. Um, you know, you have a new business and you're, you're trying to figure out how to make it work and what the sweet spot is. But the COC at the time, the Canadian Olympic Committee, was not an athlete-centered organization. And they didn't believe in the marketability of athletes. So we went into to the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. And what we mostly learned coming out of Vancouver 2010 
is what didn't work. Yeah. We had we had a massive number of partners. I think at the time it was a billion dollars worth of sponsorship revenue. And athletes were considered as an afterthought, even with COC partners. Hmm. So instead of com- com- committing, I don't know, $500 million of spending on rights and activation, instead of committing on the front end, a portion of that to supporting athletes and building stories going into Vancouver 2010 that would resonate with with um, with people because athletes and their stories are the currency of the Olympic movement. We had, For sure. we had a COC at the time was not actively advocating for its partners using athletes in all of their marketing. Hmm. So you had someone spending a hundred million dollars on rights fees who were, who did a campaign about talking cars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it, unfortunately what happened was the, the outcome evaluation from a marketing perspective was that consumers forgot you. And it was a hard lesson for a lot of brands to learn, Mm -hmm. but they learned it, uh, that without Olympic athletes actively involved in every part of your programming, you are not going to win. Mm -hmm. And I I remember speaking in May 2010 at uh, the Rogers uh, Sports Center. We had a, there was a a marketing conference there called the uh, Marketing Magazine Sport Business Conference. And I was invited to speak about athlete integration and i i really talked actively about some of these failures mm-hmm. and thankfully we had a new group uh chris overholt actually from who had just started with the coc he spoke right after me and uh shortly after that we we started creating you know what would be a pretty enduring friendship hmm. built around this idea of, of celebrifying athletes yeah exactly yeah and integrating them into everything i opened by asking what are your top five moments? Name the top five moments of the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Everyone, 300 people, everyone had a moment. There wasn't a single hand that wasn't up. And it was, you know, Bilodeau's brother, mm. first home gold, and John Montgomery's beer pitcher, and Sidney <laughs> yeah. Crosby's golden goal, mm. you know. Joanne Rochette's uh, uh, tribute skate, bronze, bronze medal tribute skate for her mother who had just passed. I mean, were those athletes in any programming at all? They weren't. Yeah, that's amazing. None of them were in, were in programming. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of brands who spent a lot of money to miss the moment, a generational moment in our country, mm-hmm. because they didn't find the heart of where, of what moments connected most with, with Canada. And it was, it was quite sad, but a good learning coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And from that, we got a lot of savvy marketing people who recognized the mistake. Mm-hmm. And the conversation began to open up from there. Made it easier for you to, I guess, start building your business on that idea of celebrifying <laughs> athletes. Exactly. And once we had that alignment with COC and the relationship, right. I mean, we just worked, we worked in lockstep for eight years to, to build an athlete economy. Really? Huh. It's not like the NHL and those stars are easy, but it's probably, it's probably easier to make those guys celebrities and sell brands around those guys. But do you find that harder with like ski racing or? Well, it's harder with ski racing, but um, X Games have been, you know, an area where uh, we have five athletes, well, four athletes. Mark McMorris is not competing this weekend. Uh, he, he tested positive for COVID. Okay. Um, but we have four athletes competing at the X Games and that, that's been a really good area for us to explore. Hmm. Um, so that's been fun. 
So do you weigh that in your decision to pick up athletes? I mean, obviously it's, you can't, like we said, it's not about dollars and cents, but. Well, there has to be some underlying marketability. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I think snow sports in Canada have had a moment. I, I worked on uh, a bid for X games for, to bring X games to Calgary for about two years. And, you know, had, had quite a significant commitment uh, to win the bid. And I thought that, we would build to a crescendo with X games and then all of our athletes would then of course become the stars of the games and we'd have a platform for them here in, uh, here in Canada. Um, so that was the broader ambition behind working within action sports. Hmm. And I think it, I think we could have won, uh, there, but, um, you know, I, I always, I always try to think big about, you know, where we want to go. We developed a really good action sports Olympics division, which, um, which has, you know, uh, I mean, big names like Tessa Virtue in it, John Montgomery. And then we built an NHL and a pro division, uh, Major League Baseball. We're looking at bat- NBA as well. So, I mean, we're, we're trying to take our reputational equity and, and, and you know, discover new markets and, and um, have some fun along the way, but work with, great, work with great athletes. But all of them have a different value prop. Right. Hockey's hockey in Canada, so you're gonna. Yeah. I mean, Mitch Marner, I think, was Forbes. Uh, Forbes just placed him at, at third, behind only Connor Connor McDavid and um, and Austin Matthews uh, in overall earnings. And I think he has the best uh, port, small ship portfolio in the entire NHL. Hmm. So I I know that he does. The work's not easy, but in that sense, th- there's a lot of money there. It's easier to make money for you. So is there a sacrifice? Try an alpine ski racer, pick up an athlete in that, in a representing someone like that. Well, I still work with Eric Gay. Okay. Um, so, and I mean, we had quite a run uh, together. But I, I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you have to be successful as an athlete, or or you don't get mindshare with Canadians. Yeah. Uh, but the money's so, not there either. You know what I mean? Like it's such a, it's, it's unfortunate. Well, yeah, no, the money is not there. No, there, there isn't a good market for, uh, for Alpine skiing. Yeah. There is for snowboarding. Huh. So we, we've, but we've been successful in snowboarding. I mean, Canada's the number one snowboarding nation in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you're Brooke DeHaunt and you're 15 years old and you're competing in the finals at X games, um, you think to yourself, I can do anything right? Yeah. If you're an Alpine ski racer and you're 15 years old at your first World Cup and you finish 59th, yeah. you probably don't think the same way. There yeah. isn't, there isn't a, uh, a trail that's been blazed for you where someone gave you the, the competitive ambition to think you could be the best. I don't doubt that's the case for an Alpine skier in Austria no, for or sure. Switzerland, but it isn't here, right? Ski cross has been our only real tangible Right. So would that be a scenario where you're trying to build up an athlete in their in their celebrity status, or how does that work? You- it depends because I think there's a multiplier there um, where you need to have success uh, on snow. Hmm. I mean, you're not you you can't be a star without success on snow. Yeah, or on ice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sure. just the, that's just the truth. But there are ways to create multipliers hmm. that make you more appealing to brand brand relationships and endorsements. But that 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 takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that you guys will grow too big in a sense and you won't have that same ability to have a hands-on approach to your clients? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we have two you know, very smart women who work in, in fulfillment uh, at our company. And, you know, one manages brand and sponsorship and the other manages 
is the athlete manager uh, and social manager. And, you know, we've, we've, we've created capacity within our company to make sure that we, we always have that hands-on approach. Mm-hmm. So I don't, uh, we have a good model for scale. Hmm. So I'm not too worried about that. Is there a common characteristic that stand out for you and the, the top athletes? I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of cliche about the top athletes, but I think, uh, focused on intention, I think is probably the, the biggest thing. There are some people who, you know, who, who do things because they're good at them. And, and then there are some people, athletes who, who they, they are compelled to do things because they can't not be doing them. Hmm. And that's the difference. I believe when, when you were 15 years old, you gravitated to what you were good at because it made you feel good to compete and to win hmm. in sport or whatever. Right. I'm, I'm a gifted artist. I'm going to draw. But when that initial spark goes, right, and you're expecting that a coach to step in or an art teacher to step in to, to constantly be motivating you, your path to greatness is significantly impeded. Hmm. I don't believe you're going to get there. Now, if you're the type of person who can't not be doing that thing, snowboarding, ski, ski cross, hockey, mm-hmm. And you think it and breathe it (laughs) and believe in everything that this is going to be your identity and this is going to shape who you are and who you become. You have a path to greatness. Mm -hmm. That is the secret. Uh, And I've seen that with every athlete in our group. I've seen athletes who contemplate whether or not they'll eat a grape and if this grape is going to contribute to me winning an Olympic gold medal or not. Mm -hmm. Hyper-focused, religious about, uh, about it. And that's when you win. And it, does, it has its cool. downsides as well. That's when you win. <laughs> For sure. How about advice to other entrepreneurs? We'll wrap up here. Yeah, good one. Yeah. I, you know, I think my advice would be if I sound like a guy who says, follow your passion, I, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean to say. Build a business approach that you think can, can win. But, but don't divorce it from your, your passion and your purpose. Hmm. You can build a good business. And instead of just doing something you love, I think you're, you're, uh, you own a coffee, coffee place, right? Coffee business, yep. Coffee business. So you love coffee, and then you decide, I want to be a coffee. But it doesn't, all of the passion in the world doesn't make up for good business sense fundamentals. I took two years to build a business plan that was a sound business plan based on a philosophical approach. Hmm. And then when I believed that I had a winning business plan, I launched a business and I, then I applied all of my passion and all of my um, discipline to implementing and executing on that plan. I didn't think that passion was going to fill the gap between good business planning and success. Absolutely. I believe passion was a multiplier of good business planning. So, so when success began to come, mm-hmm. right? Because you have ups and downs in your business, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We lost the Olympic bid. I worked on that for three and a half years, mm-hmm. right? That was absolutely the most passionate project I've ever invested my time in. And in one evening, it was gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with a, with a no boat, 
right? If I put all that passion in believing that there wasn't something important here to be doing and that the underlying value of it was not worth it, I would have been crushed by it. Yeah, for sure. But instead, I believed in what we were doing, and I thought it was a sound plan, and I applied all of my passion to communicating how sound that plan was, Hmm. not expecting that just people's passion for the games would 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 turn into a yes vote Mm -hmm. right we still had to do all the work so i left feeling incredibly proud of the work and not attached to the outcome at all and that's how you have to be as an entrepreneur because if you take your if you take your beats personally it's going to ruin you yeah for sure it's going to ruin you and passion is not enough to make up for for not sound business planning but it can be the difference between success and failure Keeps you going in the darker moments or the lows, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I can't not be doing this. Yeah. I think I have a path to greatness. You know, you learn one thing from your athletes. I mean, I, I see this mostly in singers. There are some singers who just, I mean, they can't not be seen. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think of athletes the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, that was a great conversation. That's manifesto. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the podcast and the conversations that you have in the future. Really appreciate your time. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. If you liked what you heard, check out rosebros.ca where we will have upcoming shows. You can also find our coffee and chocolate there where we plant one tree for every bag or bar sold through our partnership with One Tree Planted, a cool not-for-profit organization focused on global reforestation. Until next time, happy coffee drinking.